And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. John Frame. Dr. Frame, it's a real honor to have you on with us today. Good to be with you, Dan, and with your listeners. You're a very prolific writer of theology books, and what is one of the latest books that you've written? Well, I have several in the pipeline right now. There's my introduction to uh, my perspectival theological method, which uh, is only about 70 pages. It's just a brief introduction, and uh, (laughs) it should be uh, available this September from P&R publishers. I also have a a memoir that's uh, coming out, I hope, before the end of the year, and uh, I'm working on another one, but uh, probably don't have a very good handle on that yet. Mm-hmm. Well, today I was wondering if we could talk about a really interesting topic, and that is uh, free will. You know, today I I was working around here in the studio, and I decided to check on our FTP server and that sort of thing. You know, I just decided to do it, and I did it. And uh, intuitively, it seems like we have free will. Um, and yet, when it comes to spiritual matters... Uh, there's something else at play. So I'm wondering if you can help us sort things out on this subject of free will. Well, I think that uh, we we have this feeling, this intuition, that uh, when we choose to do something, uh, we can do it. I mean, for the most part, we can. We can't do it when we're in chains or when we're in a uh, prison cell or something like that, because uh, if you're in chains or if you're in a prison cell, there's something there that prevents you from doing what you're what you want to do and you say well i'm not free uh but when they take the chains off and they let you out of the prison doors then uh, you're free to do what you want to do so in most cases or well many cases we we do uh, feel that we have freedom and uh, that's just a common way of speaking we uh talk about uh, freedom from various things and freedom from various constrictions and so on, and that's that's perfectly okay. But when you look at the Bible, the Bible uh, uh, tells us that uh, there's an important sense in which uh, uh, God is the one who controls what takes place. And so Uh, God uh, limits our choices to what he has decided beforehand. For example, in Ephesians 1, it says that uh, uh, we're uh, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, and it says that God uh, brings all things to pass uh, according to his will. And uh, there are a number of places in the Bible where that happens. And so even in those actions which we usually account as being free, the, when the, uh, we, uh, uh, when I pick up a glass and drink some water out of it, I usually think that's my free choice. But uh, uh, the Bible tells me that uh, uh, God uh, brings all things to pass according to his will. So God's choice is behind my choice. And that bothers people a lot, but uh, I think it's uh, it's understandable that uh, 
in salvation particularly, uh, there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. So if salvation is up to my free choice, I can never be saved. Uh, of course, I make a free choice to uh, accept Christ, to receive Him, to make Him my Lord and Savior, but behind that free choice, there's God's choice. Uh, Jesus said to His disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And uh, Scripture is very clear that uh, by grace we're saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So whatever we may do, whatever choice we may make, uh, ultimately we are saved only because God has chosen us uh, to be in Christ for salvation. And according to Ephesians 1, he's chosen us to be in Christ before the world was even made. So um, if, if we're, um, let's say we haven't received Christ yet, and we have no inclination, and then one day we hear the gospel preached, and something happens, something happens, and we, we want to choose Christ. Is that an example of um, where something behind the scenes is going on? Yes, well, that's certainly behind the scenes. Paul and uh, Thessalonians tells the people that uh, they received the Word, uh, not in Word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, the Holy Spirit is the one that uh, is in the Word, changing hearts. But even behind that, of course, there's the decision that God made uh, way back before the beginning of history to choose us to be in Christ. So there are those two sovereign acts of God. There's a sovereign act of God way back at the beginning of history, and then there's a sovereign act of God uh, when the gospel is preached and when the Holy Spirit uh, uh, accompanies that with power. Do you ever have uh, students that say, well, Dr. Frame, this sounds an awful lot like fatalism, and what's the answer to them? Well, fatalism is an impersonal uh, causation. Uh, the ancient Greeks said a lot about fate. They said that no matter what we decide, it's really just fate making us do everything. Uh, the difference uh, is that in the Bible... The, the ultimate cause of everything is God's will, but that's a cause that's personal, not impersonal. Uh, God uh, uh, understands who we are. He establishes a personal relationship. For example, uh, in Ephesians, again, we're, we're predestined in love, in God's love. And no Greek writer ever said that fate loves us. Fate doesn't love anything. Fate just moves everything along uh, uh, as it will. And we're tossed and turned. And we're, uh, fate doesn't care whether we're hurt or whether we're tortured or whether we're loved or whether we're hated or whatever it may be. But God... Uh, uh, really loves the ones that he has chosen to uh, join them to Christ. Sometimes it seems, too, that there are unlikely converts. 
someone comes to Christ and say, wow, I, I never expected that. Are there uh, examples that come to your mind in the Bible of unlikely, you know, humanly speaking, unlikely converts? Well, I suppose the Apostle Paul is the best example of that, because Paul uh, went around uh, uh, capturing, kidnapping Christians to uh, uh, take them off to uh, uh, die or to be punished simply because they were Christians. Uh, he was the uh, uh, he was the ISIS of the day. He was uh, ready to uh, destroy uh, people just because they're Christians. He hated Christ, and then all of a sudden, uh, when he was traveling uh, toward uh, the city of Damascus, uh, he saw this incredible vision uh, of Jesus Christ saying. Uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And uh, Paul realized that he wasn't just uh, arresting Christians, he wasn't just persecuting people who believed in Christ, but he was persecuting Christ himself. And of course, the name Christ means Messiah, so Paul, being a devout Jew, discovered that the uh, when he arrested Christians, he was persecuting Israel's Messiah, and uh, that drove him to his knees in uh, repentance, and he came to uh, uh, himself believe in Jesus Christ. But again, you see, this was not uh, something that Paul would have chosen to do <laughs> in the middle of his journey toward uh, Damascus. This has uh, uh, happened uh, completely, uh, you know, God just came in and upended him. Uh, God uh, uh, upset all of Paul's plans and uh, dragged him into the kingdom. Yeah. Um, Some people might think, um, well, I've heard you guys talk about this phrase, total depravity, and uh, what on earth could that mean? It seems like uh, people uh, are pretty nice around me. You know, they may not be perfect, but, uh, you know, I bought my mother some flowers and treated her nice and you know maybe a, a heathen <laughs> an, yeah, athe- an atheist yeah. might say that what what is the biblical idea notion of total depravity well total depravity may not be the best uh, phrase but uh, i i think it comes through most clearly uh in romans 8 when paul says that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That is, people who are living their own way, people who are not converted, people who are not regenerate, uh, those those people cannot please God. They're just not able to. And of course, God demands perfection, and so somebody who's in that rebellious mode uh, can't possibly uh, please God. He can't possibly do anything uh, that uh, uh, for God. Now, you know, as you say, uh, we often see unbelievers who do things that appear to be good, and uh, often they really are good for society. But what the Bible says is that in order to please God, you have to do more than something that's just good for society. In order to please God, basically, there need to be three things. Uh, first, you need to be uh, seeking the glory of God. Second, you need to be obeying God's will, obeying God's revelation that he's given us in the Scriptures. 
And then uh, thirdly, you have to be acting in love and faith. First uh, Corinthians 13 says that if you do any good works and you don't have love, then those works are worthless. So when you think of God's standards and think of everything that's involved in the Ten Commandments and so on, you realize that uh, you really can't please God on your own. You can do some things that uh, make other people happy, and you can do some things that make you feel better about yourself, but uh, you can't begin to measure up to God's standards. Mm, Okay. And uh, what about um, so-called common grace? Is that the case where someone may do good things and benefit society even though they don't have a saving relationship with Christ? Yeah, common grace is a phrase that's uh, not found in the Bible. Uh, uh, I I wish that uh, people had talked about common love, because Jesus says that uh, God loves his enemies as we should love ours. I don't know if Scripture ever talks about common grace, but uh, it does seem that what people mean when they say this is that... uh, it's possible for non-believers, for unregenerate people, to do things that are good uh, for society, number one. And number two, uh, who can do things that God uh, works for good for his own purposes. Uh, but these are not things that meet the criteria of good works that I gave you a moment ago. They don't... Uh, Uh, obey. They're not done out of obedience for the law, and they're not seeking the glory of God, and they're not done out of love in the full sense that uh, Jesus loved his people. Mm, Yeah. Um, Thinking, too, about a person that um, is worried about their sins. You know, they've come to Christ, and and they keep failing. And, And they may even feel so bad they start doubting their salvation. Any advice for that person? Well, it's possible that people sometimes deceive themselves and they think that they're uh, becoming Jesus' disciples, but they really haven't uh, accepted him as their Lord and as the, the only Savior from sin. So that's possible. But I think uh, much more commonly what you have are uh, sincere uh, believers who are trying uh, to serve Christ, but they do fail. Now, the Scripture teaches us that uh, we're never perfect in this life, even by the grace of God. Uh, the grace of God doesn't make us perfect here on the earth. Our perfection awaits the next life. So uh, we can't, uh, uh, and that can be discouraging, uh, uh, and so we need to keep going back. The Scripture tells us we need to keep going back to God in prayer. We need to keep repenting and saying, I'm sorry uh, for my sins, and I want to change. I want to turn around. Uh, the Scripture says for us to call on the Holy Spirit, and the, the Father never uh, never withholds the Spirit from those who uh, seek Him from the heart, and uh, uh, those are. Uh, and we need to seek uh, advice from other believers because uh, uh, God has given us pastors. 
He's given us teachers. He's given us Christian friends, and we need to go to them and uh, uh, be honest, be uh, willing to to say, well, I'm really having trouble with this place in my life, and I, I wonder if there's anything you can suggest, or could you pray for me uh, so that I can uh, overcome these uh, sins that are troubling me? It would be great, you know, if God had said, well, once you receive Christ, you're totally free from sin, <laughs> or if he said, once you accept Christ, just uh, just ask me, and all of a sudden the sin will be gone. Uh, but uh, he didn't decide to do it, do it that way. He decided to make us dependent upon uh, him through the rest of our lives, to make us dependent upon our, our brothers and sisters, to make us dependent upon his word, to make us dependent upon uh, all the uh, uh, blessings that he's given us. And, and as we do that... Uh, 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 we do gain victories over sins, but not immediately. And there's something very precious about that process uh, by which uh, uh, repentance and sanctification take place. Yes. Now, uh, you're, um, or at least you were, I guess you still are, or I, are you still a professor of systematic theology and philosophy at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary? Yes, emeritus. That's what <laughs> after, it is. Uh, after June first, I will be <laughs> formally retired. But okay. they uh, uh, have uh, been willing to let me keep my office and my telephone. So, uh, uh, and uh, I'm able to write some things on my uh, computer. So. I'll be uh, kind of associated with RTS for the time being. And where is that located? Uh, well, there are nine RTS campuses, but the one where I live is in uh, uh, Oviedo, Florida, which mm-hmm. is a suburb of Orlando. Now, uh, suppose there's a young man out there who's struggling with the call of God. Each case is different, I'm sure. But uh, any general advice for a young man that's... Uh, perhaps feeling the tug into the Christian ministry? Yes, well, you really need to uh, uh, talk to your pastor, talk to other people. Uh, It's uh, not a good idea to just uh, get the feeling that you're called to the ministry and then uh, go full steam ahead on your own without uh, talking to anybody. You really need to you get some godly counsel. You really need to go to the Word of God to see if you enjoy reading the Word of God and expounding it to people. You need to get some experience and uh, uh, witnessing to other people, bringing the gospel to other people. You need to get some experience in the church. Uh, all those things are, are important before you go off and head for seminary or someplace and say, I'm, I'm going to be a minister. Uh, uh, there's a, uh, God calls ministers out of a, a period of preparation, uh, and uh, that period of preparation can uh, take some time. I wonder if there's truth to this notion that um, when you have the call of God upon your life, you really can't do anything else but... Well, I think there's. Uh, I think that's true. Of course, people do resist, and people <laughs> do uh, turn away from it. And I think uh, when they do that, they're very uh, uncomfortable. They're they're very sad about the uh, the way things go. And uh, uh, but uh, it's very difficult to predict what will happen in anybody's life. Uh, 
uh, when they obey God or when they disobey God. Some uh, people disobey God, and they seem for the time to be very happy about yeah. it. Other people obey God, and <laughs> for a while they're pretty miserable. Uh, God leads us through a lot of devious uh, paths, but uh, on the whole, if, if you believe God is calling you to do something, that uh, particularly uh, to enter the ministry, uh, uh, you need to start thinking about the preliminary preparations for that, at least, and talk to others and and prepare your heart to uh, uh, follow through on that call obediently. Yes, yes. Um, one last item. Um, these are kind of scattered today. I hope you don't mind. But that is um, Christian parents. Um, let's say they're younger Christian parents, and God blesses them with children. How are they to view their children with respect to God, and I'm talking here specifically Christian parents. How, do, how are they to view their children? Well, there are disagreements about that, of course, in the church. There are some people uh, uh, in the Baptist tradition who uh, uh, think of uh, children as being uh, uh, depraved and uh, uh, unregenerate until... Uh, uh, later in life when they can be baptized, maybe 12, 13, 14 years old. I'm a Presbyterian, and I believe that uh, children should be baptized uh, very early, uh, as soon as possible after they're born. And the reason is because God says in the Bible that the promise is to you and to your children, which means that uh, God not only calls individuals to himself, but he calls families to himself. You remember how uh, very often in the New Testament, baptisms were baptisms of households, uh, so that the whole family uh, comes before God. And just as God called the family of Abraham and the family of, uh, before him, the family of Noah and the family of of uh, David and the families of Israel, uh, so uh, God comes uh, in the New Testament period after Pentecost, and he sends the apostles out to uh, call families uh, to uh, belong to God, and uh, uh, those uh, uh, families would include all the children that were born to them. Mm, that's helpful. So I think that uh, so that I think believers ought to have their children baptized, and then raise them as fellow believers. You know, of course, the children have to be rebuked at times and have to be uh, taught and and uh, led through good experiences and so on, but uh, uh, parents should remember that these are, uh, these are members of the family that God has taken to himself. Yes. Um, are you looking forward to... Um <laughs> your retirement, and uh, besides writing, what are some of the things that you'll enjoy doing? Well, I told Art yes that this would be my last year of, of formal teaching, and uh, that's basically what I mean by retirement. I, I have a heart condition, and so I don't... Uh, uh, I get very, very tired after three-hour classes, which is the norm here at RTS, uh, uh, but I'm happy to uh, teach occasionally, to teach over the phone, as I'm doing now, uh, to uh, write books, and uh, uh, so uh, 
uh, apart from uh, uh, turning away from teaching for a while, I, I, uh, I'll be doing pretty much what I was doing before. I'm telling people not to uh, write me with theological questions by email, and I'm telling people I'd prefer not to uh, endorse people's books because I spent so long so much time doing that that uh, I'd really like to get away from it if, if, just for a while at least but uh, uh, generally speaking I'm uh, uh, I'm writing books and I'm studying and uh, uh, right now I'm indexing a book which is a terrible thing to do <laughs> <laughs> well it's a real privilege for us to talk with you today we've been talking with Dr. John Frame Professor Emeritus of Systematic Theology and Philosophy at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary. And uh, if you haven't read one of Dr. Frame's books, it's highly advised. that It may be a little tough at times, but uh, you will greatly benefit. And uh, Dr. Frame, thank you so very much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Dan. I always enjoy coming on your program, and uh Thanks for calling me this morning. Okay. And I, I want to say, too, you fit us in so quickly, spur of the moment, that uh, all this stuff is just on the tip of your tongue. So, you, you know, this, uh, <laughs> that's really rich. So thank you very much. Thank you. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Always have, always win.